This is Front Page. We here at Front Page, we do our best to dig out the truth and bring it to you. Hello, all you freedom-loving people. Welcome to Front Page Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Cameron Goulet. Israel has shown its determination to remove Hamas once and for all. Wherever the leaders of Hamas were hiding, even in civilian buildings, Israel did not hesitate to launch an attack. The Yemeni armed forces are also present in this war now. So does the turmoil in the Middle East increase the likelihood of terrorist attacks within the U.S.? The FBI director answered in the affirmative, but who's to blame? Should the international terrorists take all the blame? Or is it because the U.S. government is too weak? Kentucky is in a neck-and-neck race for governor, and the results of the race will affect the bipartisan balance of power in the U.S. Senate. And at the last minute, President Trump is once again standing up for the Republican candidate. The newly elected House Speaker quickly passed several spending bills. He certainly does not expect all of them to pass the Senate, but it's a starting point for him to bargain with the Democrats. Okay, let's get into it. On Tuesday, the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, bombed the largest refugee camp in the Gaza corridor, raising homes to the ground. This is because a Hamas commander who led the October 7th massacre was hiding in the camp. Israeli Defense Forces spokesman, Lieutenant Colonel Richard Heck, said that Israel conducted a massive strike against terrorists and terrorist infrastructure in the central Jabalaya Battalion in Gaza. The IDF targeted a very senior Hamas commander in the area, Commander Ibrahim Bayari. According to a statement from the Israel Defense Forces, Bayari was one of the leaders who was responsible for sending terrorists to Israel to carry out the October 7th attack. Bayari had overseen all military operations in the northern Gaza corridor since the beginning of the ground campaign, and he was involved in numerous attacks on Israel decades ago. A spokesperson for the Israeli Defense Forces said that the Hamas commander was hiding among civilians in the refugee camp. A large number of terrorists were killed in the attack, which also led to the collapse of the underground infrastructure that they were using. The day before, Israel officials had announced to the public the evidence that they had that Hamas is using hospitals and refugee camps as cover with offices in or underneath them. It now appears that these revelations were a prelude to this military operation. And now the Yemeni armed forces have officially declared war on Israel. Brigadier General Yahya Sare, the spokesman for the Yemeni armed forces, announced that they had launched a large-scale military strike against Israeli targets in support of the Sunni genocidal terrorist organization Hamas. Yemen is more than 16,000 kilometers from Gaza. However, following the Hamas raid on Israel last month, Yemeni Houthi immediately joined the action. Three waves of attack have been launched in the past few days. The Israeli Defense Forces reported the successful interception of a surface-to-surface missile near the Red Sea. Pat Ryder, a spokesperson for the U.S. Department of Defense, said that Houthi's missiles can strike targets 2,000 kilometers away and that the U.S. will continue to monitor their operations. Ironically, Iran, the backer of Hamas and Houthi, is set to chair the U.N. Human Rights Council. This has caused strong resentment among human rights organizations in many countries. The U.N. Watch 
launched a global petition calling on UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres to reverse the decision. Many people have commented criticizing the United Nations as being out of touch with reality and that the United Nations should be cut off from the tyrannical regime in Iran. FBI Director Christopher Wray warned on Tuesday that the Hamas terrorist attacks on Israel could trigger similar attacks by other terrorist organizations against Americans, which is the biggest terrorist threat to the United States since ISIS began its rampage years ago. Ray told lawmakers at a hearing before the Senate Homeland Security and Government Committee that the reality is that the terrorism threats have been escalated throughout 2023, but the ongoing war in the Middle East has raised the threat of an attack against Americans in the United States to a whole other level. Ray also said that Hamas's attack will serve as an inspiration the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate years ago. Ray further noted that since the October 7th conflict in Gaza, there has been a significant increase in violence within the United States. He said that in the United States, the most immediate concern is that violent extremists would take inspiration from the events in the Middle East and launch attacks on everyday Americans. So is the Biden administration fully responsible for this situation? Senator Rick Scott asked Ray, is the United States safer from foreign terror threats today? Are we safer than when Joe Biden took office from the day he took office? This question has kept Director Ray silent for quite a while. Is the United States safer from foreign terror threats today? Are we safer than when Joe Biden took office from the day he took office? What I would say to you is that the terror threats have elevated. Uh, but I also think there are a lot of things the country has done throughout law enforcement to be better prepared to deal with them. Apparently, many senators did not agree with Director Ray's answer. They blasted the Biden administration's border policies for exposing the United States to a greater threat of terrorist attacks. During a press conference on Tuesday, John Barrasso, the Senate Republican Conference chairman, said... We have just returned from our southern border and it is painfully clear that with Joe Biden's open border policy, our country is really at an increased threat for terrorist attack. He said that Border Patrol agents have seized immigrants who are carrying explosive devices tailored for terrorism. Senator Pete Ricketts said that the U.S. is opening the door to terrorist attacks. Last Thursday and Friday, these legislators followed Ted Cruz to southwest Texas. They found Border Patrol agents were frustrated because they risked their lives catching dangerous people and they turn around and their political superiors just let them go. Cruz said, and the next day they go back and they catch the same people all over again. Senator John Cornyn said, what the Border Patrol tells us is there's no consequences associated with illegal entry into the United States. And these criminal organizations that smuggle people and drugs are smart. They know how to exploit our system. At the Senate Homeland Committee's hearing, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas confirmed 
that there are more than 600,000 known border escapees. The Biden administration recently called on Congress to fund an additional $14 billion for border operations. This funding, however, is to cover transportation costs, including transportation flights and resources for detention alternatives. It also includes funding for non-detention housing options for those subjects to expedite evictions, as well as housing facilities, legal services, and medical care. Republican lawmakers, however, argued that the Biden administration's demands would only be counterproductive. Barrasso said that the Biden administration's goal with supplemental funding is to provide money to make people come in easier. While the volatility of the international situation increases the likelihood of terrorist attacks, we didn't have that concern under President Trump. That was because first, Terrorist forces could not enter the United States. Second, even terrorists inside the U.S. knew that they would be severely punished for any wrongdoing. A new poll released by Fox News shows that the majority of Americans disapprove of the Biden administration's handling of border security and they support building a wall on the southern border. 71% of registered voters believe the current level of security at the U.S. border is not stringent enough. And a majority of Democrats and Biden supporters say more measures are necessary to solidify security along the U.S.-Mexico border. And 82% of independent voters say that they disapprove of the current border policy. The race for Kentucky's governor will be held on November 7th. The race is between Democrat Andy Bashir and Republican Attorney General Daniel Cameron. The importance of this race lies in the fact that the outcome of the race could determine the control of the U.S. Senate. Uh, currently, Bashir is ahead of his Republican challenger, but the difference is small. Bashir's strategy is to portray himself as a moderate. Also, Mitch McConnell's seat is set to expire in 2026. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's health has been a concern over the past year. He is frozen in front of the camera on a few occasions. This has led to the concerns about the possibility that the 81-year-old senator may not be able to finish his term. The United States Constitution provides that in the event of a vacancy in the Senate, the governor shall call a special election. Pending the outcome of the election, any state legislature may authorize the governor to make a temporary appointment. In March of 2021, Kentucky passed a law stating that if the U.S. Senate seat becomes vacant, the leadership of the senator's party will provide the governor with the names of three members of that party. And the governor will have to choose among the three members. Therefore, if McConnell cannot finish his term, Bashir would have to choose from among three Republicans that the Kentucky GOP would name. But Bashir initially vetoed that legislation. He said that it violated Article 152 of the Kentucky Constitution, which gives Bashir complete authority to name anyone he wants to the Senate, including a fellow Democrat. The Republican-controlled Kentucky legislature disagreed and overrode his veto. Many would say that as a constitutional issue, there should be no debate. The U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land. And Article 6 of the Constitution 
clearly states that the Constitution takes precedence over state constitutions. However, there is nothing stopping Bashir from trying, and the issue could take more than a year to be argued in the courts all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. In the meantime, control of the Senate may hang in the balance given that the Senate is 51 to 49 and many of its senators are elderly. As a result, the consequences of a race between Bashir and Cameron are higher than many voters realize. The choice of Kentucky's governor could tip the scales of national power. President Trump released a video days before the governor's race praising Republican Attorney General Daniel Cameron. President Trump initially endorsed Cameron in June of 2022. He also praised Cameron's stance on protecting women's sports from biological males and his dedication to teachers. President Trump conversely said that Bashir's education policies are a disaster for Kentucky. President Trump also criticized Bashir's economic policies as destroying Kentucky, and he also criticized his weak stance on crime. In the end, President Trump praised Daniel Cameron for being a common-sense man. Republicans are aiming to pass three bills this week, but Joe Biden has already threatened two of them with vetoes. House Speaker Mike Johnson, however, does not appear to be concerned. For Johnson, the threat of veto is irrelevant at this point. This is because Johnson views these bills to be his starting point in negotiations. He intends to pass conservative spending bills in order to gain an advantage over Democrats in negotiations. So what is Johnson's debate strategy? Johnson outlined his strategy to GOP members in an October 23rd letter just before he was elected. He wants to pass all 12 spending bills through the House before the Senate completes its work. In this way, Johnson can negotiate from a position of strength. The House has already passed five of the 12 spending bills so far. This accounts for over 70% of spending. Meanwhile, the Senate has passed no spending bills. By passing bills in the House with significant spending cuts, Johnson hopes to force the Senate to accept at least part of the House's spending plan. However, Democrats are unlikely to accept the House's demands without a fight. This is because they believe that they have already reached a deal on spending levels for 2024. The House passed a conservative spending package in April to get Joe Biden to negotiate the debt ceiling. That bill was the Limit Save Grow Act. Joe Biden and then Speaker Kevin McCarthy worked out a deal for temporarily raising the debt limit in exchange for spending cuts. However, the Biden administration won't agree to the Limit Save Grow Act cuts. They do not want to enact the Limit Save Grow Act's lower spending levels. Okay, this is our podcast for today. Thank you again for listening to Front Page Podcast. For more exclusive in-depth content, please go to frontpageshow.com.